I'm going to read Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's familiar. We've gone over it. But Paul wrote here, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I'm just going to insert two questions. Do you see justification in these lines? You do. I'm curious if you see it. I'm curious if you understand justification and how it's been uh, exposed, how it's been made apparent to you there. So do you see it there? And what happens if you're not justified? That's an important question as we think about the gospel this morning. Justification is the greatest gift in the world. Justification is probably the most important teaching in the gospel. It is probably the most important thing for you to rightly apprehend. In other words, we just don't want to understand it as a teaching per se. It's it's not a a doctrine in a school book. It's something your heart must really understand because it is by justification that a sinner is able to be at peace with God and is able to hope in eternal life. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. So we have read Paul's not ashamed the gospel, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 3.21, it leaves a huge gap of things we have read and studied in depth. So there's a big gap in between there. But here we read, but now, think carefully, when does but now come in this? Context, But now, in this telling of the gospel, comes after Paul has made clear beyond the shadow of a doubt that every single one of you and I is a reprobate. We are sinners. That has been established so boldly and so thoroughly, the sinfulness of men. But now... Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. What happened between 1.16 and 17 and 3.21 was in the law. The law exposes sin and sinfulness. And now the gospel reveals a righteousness apart from the law. This is a crucial distinction for you to see and how the gospel is explained. And on your understanding of what justification is. Now look at verse 21 again. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. 
It is not possessed. It is revealed. In other words, you've seen it. It is made apparent. It is not had by anybody. The gospel is revealed. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. Righteousness of God. The righteousness of God contrasts that with the righteousness of men. Contrast that with the righteousness of the law. The righteousness of God is to all who believe, justified freely by His grace. These are some of the most important terms for us to understand in the whole Bible. God has announced salvation, which is His righteousness, given to a sinner by faith. Salvation is the righteousness of God given to a sinner by faith. This is justification. And when someone is justified, we say they're saved. We say they are safe from the wrath of God. We say they have a confident hope in eternal life. Justification changes the status of a sinner from condemned to saved. They will never die. Any who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God qualifies for justification and eternal life. All who have sinned qualify. And justification is worth more than gold or land or life. Remember some of the preaching of the Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus once spoke about losing a hand and losing an eye. If that's what it cost to gain eternal life, he said that would be worth it. It would be better for you to lose an eye than to go into hell. It would better be better for you to lose your hand than to go in hell. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place where most people are going to go. The Lord Jesus was sincere about that. He was clear about that. Justification is what a man must have if he is not going to go to hell. If a man is going to have peace with God and have hope in eternal life, he must be justified. And it is the most valuable thing in the universe, justification. You can't buy it with your life. You could be the richest man in the world and you cannot buy justification. It is the only ransom of a soul. Justification conveys the low sinner into the king's household. It changes the status of the reprobate to a favored son. I was careful with that word status. It changes his status 
or position. It moves the sinner from wrath and into grace and blessing. And God loves to do this. And Satan hates it. Satan hates and despises justification. The power of justification is so remarkable and so unique and so perfectly effective. It is absolutely and perfectly effective for God's glory and for the saving of men that the enemies of God counterfeit it. It is counterfeited on a regular basis. There is fake justification, counterfeit justification, which promises heaven. It promises peace with God. And undiscerning men, undiscerning women who will not love the truth, who will not draw near to God on the terms of his justification, will be deceived, and they will not know justification. They will be using the terms of justification. They will be using the name of the one who justifies. But in their deception and in the, in the effectiveness of counterfeit justification, men will be fooled and they will not know eternal life. They're taken in by ruthless spirits, cunning spirits who deceive. They're mentioned. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Men and women are deceived. And false schemes of justification. False ideas about God and about eternal life. 1 Timothy 4. You'll probably remember when we when we read this passage here. Verse 1. The Spirit, this is the Spirit of God expressly says now Paul is writing this to Timothy and Paul is a prophet in the New Testament age so when he says the spirit expressly says he says that as a prophet it's not speculation he says this is what the spirit of God says here are the words of the spirit the spirit expressly says in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons They're deceiving spirits. What is their job? They preach and they teach. They teach deceiving doctrines. Speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Is it possible the world is infiltrated with counterfeit justification? Of course it is. Of course there's counterfeit justification all over the place. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone is precious. It's freely offered to sinners. It secures them to God's forgiveness and eternal life. Justification is a real, powerful, utterly unique thing that belongs to God and it belongs to those who apprehend it and trust in Him by faith. It is the greatest gift in the world and the scripture teaches you what it is. It teaches you what justification is. It teaches you how to be forgiven of your sin and how to be confident and how to have 
hope and eternal life. The doctrine of justification by faith is the heart of the true gospel. And it is the battleground of falseness and truth. Let's speak or think for just a moment about justification and deceptive counterfeits. When a man anticipates meeting God, and this is all of you, Some of you think about this more or less than others. But when a man anticipates meeting God and being accountable to him and depending on him to grant pardon, that person desires justification. You with me? When you think about that moment, that is what you want. You desire and you are seeking justification. How men understand their sin and then what they apply For the cure or for the treatment is a theory of justification. When they anticipate what it's going to be like, what he will approve, what he will disapprove, how I can get there on the right terms, that is your theory of justification. And there are many theories of justification that promise eternal life. Men determine in their own minds who they think the judge is. They determine the standard he uses. And then men form their justification strategy. They conform themselves to what they believe will be required when the day comes. God's true justification is revealed. Paul said it just a moment or two ago. The justification, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed so that men can know what it is. False gods and false religions modify what we find here. It is not hard to find modified explanations of what justification is. The world is full of of deceitful, cruel, damning theories of justification. And I use a strong word, a strong phrase like that, so that you will realize the malevolence of the enemy, the evil of the enemy who speaks and teaches false forms of justification. It sends people to hell. You will not know peace with God or eternal life if you plan on meeting Him on your terms or on the terms of falseness. God is not a God of lies. He is not a God of varying views on on what He thinks is right today versus what He thinks is right tomorrow. We really and truly want to know true justification. So we learn to recognize the faults. And so in our own hearts, we are prepared for the day when it comes. So let me teach you, let me remind you the first two biblical rules of justification so that you yourself can go, do I have a right idea of what it is? What is it? If you recall the flow of what we've read in Romans so far, and I think all of you should, most of you should, the, the, the arguments and the explanations began in 1, 16 and 17, which we just read a moment ago. 
the first thing you will have learned about justification is that it is for the ungodly. Justification is for sinners. And there are some people who plan to meet God without sin. And so part of their strategy of justification doesn't understand this point. But if you have a simple recollection of Romans 1, 2, and 3, you will realize justification is for sinners. Look at 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The reason he's saying that is he's just been saying he's pleased to announce the gospel because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Well, who cares? Well, everybody should care because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Righteous and justified share the same root. If you could overlap the two words in, in Greek, you would go, oh, these are almost identical words. Righteousness and justification. The righteousness of God is revealed. Justification is revealed. Who cares? Everybody cares. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's why. First rule, justification is for Sinners, from this point forward in the book of Romans, there are countless examples of the sins of mankind. We maybe have read 50 of them. Ranging from idolatry to sexual perversion to anger to coveting to Gossiping. The, the, the list of sins is so extensive. The point isn't so that you might read it and hope you find an escape plan for yourself and go, phew, if I'm not in there. The point of the list is that you would see over and over again, oh man, oh man, oh man, who will save me? That's the point. Nothing we have read in the book of Romans indicates that some men are righteous. Romans 3, 9. Here's what you're supposed to know when you've read and understand what he's been saying in those many verses. What then? Are we any better than they? Are we Jews any better than they pagans is what is being referred to? No, not at all. The Jews are not better than the pagans. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. They are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. I'm only summarizing here. I'm summarizing drastically. But the only one offered justification is a sinner. Chapter 3, verse 20 states the next principle, the next rule of justification. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The second rule of justification is that a man's compliance with law will not result in his justification. In other words, you could take all the laws that you know of and the ones you don't know of in the Bible, list them all out, and 
and try hard to keep them all. What we have just read in chapter 3, verse 20, is that nobody will be justified by keeping the works of the law. That is a principle of justification. Law is not a tool of justification. What is the law for? Did the Bible just happen to tell us in the verse we were reading? I think it did. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does the law show you that sometimes you do know and sometimes you don't know? What does the law show you? It, it shows you you're a sinner. It shows you when you don't meet up to the holiness of God. Men aren't supposed to debate this with God. Men are supposed to hear what God has said about their sinfulness and they're supposed to say, you're right. You're absolutely 100% right, God. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Don't use the law to show God your virtue. It's not what the law is for. The law is to magnify your sin. It's so that men would know they're sinners. Justification is for sinners. And the law is not a tool of justification, but it is a tool of exposing sin. And no deeds can produce justification. Justification is through faith in Christ. The next principle, number three in my list anyways, we get from verse 21 and 22. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Isn't that great? Can you breathe a sigh of relief with me that justification apart from the law is revealed? If you read the law honestly, you read that and you you see yourself as a wretch, a horrible person. If I can say this in the most kind way to you, my friends, you are horrible people. It's true. The gospel is for horrible people. The Lord Jesus didn't preach repentance so that you could become good enough to be saved. The Lord Jesus preached repentance because sin is awful. All of your sins are still awful. You must repent of your sins. The sinner who realizes he's a sinner has already committed a lifetime of sin. And you won't stop tomorrow. If you will hate your sin the way a man is supposed to hate his sin, you must repent of your sins. Sins are rebellion against the holiness of God. Sins are rebellion against what it meant to be a person created in the image of God. The godliness of a man is ruined and destroyed by your sinfulness. The virtue that a man should possess in his speech and in his life and in his goodness should be a product of the virtue and the goodness and the greatness of God. But sin is in you like carbonation is in your soft drink. It just 
keeps coming out. You must repent of your sin because it's ugly. You must repent of your sin because it is destructive to you and the people you love. Sin is an awful reality in men. But there is justification for sinners. 321, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, which means, in short, the Old Testament knew this truth as well. The Old Testament knows that justification is apart from the law. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith, the righteousness of God possessed through faith, in Christ Jesus, to all and on all who believe, there is no difference. Justification is for sinners, which is not possible through their works or their deeds. The righteousness of God is through faith in Christ to all and on all who believe. And so what is beginning to be introduced here, this is the beginning of a long explanation by faith, you can be free from the fear of sin's punishment. By what we are going to understand more deeply here, by your faith in Christ, you can be free from the fear of sin's punishment and God's wrath. And you can trust in God's forgiveness and grace forever. God justifies believers Teaching about justification doesn't end here. These are what we would call building stones of, uh, of an education on justification. These are, these are chief building blocks, chief principles of understanding justification. But in God's providence, the scripture turns to illustrations at this point. So at chapter 4, as we remember the principles we've now learned about justification, who's it for? Sinners. It cannot be had by deeds or works. And what was the third principle? It's had by faith. It is possessed by faith. So remembering these things, at chapter 4 we're reminded about Abraham. And we, we touched on Abraham a couple weeks ago. Father Abraham, we know because he says here, is declared righteous. Read from verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Abraham was declared righteous. So one thing we know, because of what we've just been studying, he's justified, and a justified man is a man who is a sinner. He is a sinner counted righteous. Abraham is a person like this. He's an illustration of what a justified man is. 
Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 puts forth a quick little question. Was he justified by works? No. If you quickly look at chapter 3, verse 20, you'll be reminded by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Abraham was not justified by deeds of the law. He, he posits the question real quickly at the beginning of 4. No, this isn't how he is justified. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. What we are reading about in Romans is the means of his justification. How was he justified? What were the circumstances? How did he become justified? How did he get saved? Fifteen. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from you, from your own body, shall be your heir. God makes a promise to him. Abraham feels afraid that God can't do what God had already promised him he was going to do. He was going to have great numbers of offspring. He was going to have a land. Abraham doesn't know how that's possible. He doesn't have a child. And his complaint to God is, one of my employee's kids is my heir. I don't have an heir. How can you keep this promise to me, God? How is it possible? So when we read the reference that's being referred to in our passage at verse 6. Actually, let's read 5 and 6. God brought Abram outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. What is God's answer to Abram's fear? I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Your prodigy will be as numerous as the stars. And the next line says, verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's why we're back here in Romans 4. Go back to Romans 4 now. God justifies Abram when he believes. Abraham had, at that point, what you must have for eternal life. You must be justified. You must believe the proposition of God. The, the thing that has been spoken. See, faith isn't a Disney kind of a concept where people sing songs about, oh, you've got to have faith. Remember Journey sang a song? I think I, I remember mentioning this sometime in the last year or two. Journey sang a song and said, don't stop believing. Believing what? Who? 
the journey kind of faith is like this Disney sort of fantasy that, that things are just going to work out and it's all going to be good. That's a lie from hell. Journey's song about don't stop believing is, is a lie from hell. It's, it's meant to make you feel good. It's meant to make you feel happy. We'll just keep believing. What? Believing what? You know, if you and I were on the deck of the Titanic as it started doing this, and I said, don't stop believing, how would that make you feel? You'd be like, dude, we're, we're about to die. We're going to die. You are about to die. And if you are not justified by faith in Christ and ready to meet the Creator with the virtue and righteousness of Christ, if you are not ready for that, then you are not ready to die. You are not justified. See, this belief of Abraham is a belief vested in a person and in a proposition. If you don't know any of the propositions of Christ about your sinfulness and your need for a Savior, and your promised hell if you won't repent and believe in Him, and your promised eternal life if you will repent and believe in Him, if you don't know any of these propositions, you don't have any faith that can save you or can justify you. You're making up your own religion, which is the world's favorite thing to do. Abraham is spotlighted here. So you can see what it looks like when a man believes God is counted as righteous and he didn't work for his salvation. Abraham did not work for his salvation. The sinner's faith is on him who justifies the ungodly and he is justified. Baptism won't save him. Praying won't save him. Tithing can't save him. These are works and will never be the ground of somebody's salvation. There's a crucial thing I just said. It will never be the ground of somebody's salvation. You can't produce a list of things that are your coin of salvation that you can show to God and go, look, I was baptized. I read my Bible all the way through. I went to church four times a year. Whatever your list has, you're not going to bring God some kind of currency and say, I'm pretty sure you're going to justify me for this. It can't happen. But James touches on this a little bit. James emphasizes what Paul does not emphasize here. James says, I hear you say you have faith, that you believe him. And James says, Show me what you believe by what you do as a believer. Right? That's what James taught about. They're not contradictory. They're talking about the same faith. This is the apple tree analogy we were using this morning. Those who are rightly trusting in and believing in Christ produce fruits of the Spirit and fruits of belief. But you can't work out some of those fruits and things and show them to God and say, hey, save me. 
Your deeds will never be the ground of your justification. They will never be the basis of your justification. They will be the result of it. They will be the product of it. Verse 6 in Romans 4 is the second illustration given to you and I as Abraham illustrates somebody who put their faith in God and in his word and was justified. Abraham was saved. At that point, he was saved. David provides an identical kind of illustration. Verse 6, right after Abraham's faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So Paul is preparing you to think, huh, God said the very same kind of thing through David. Look at the verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. There is the blessing of justification. He didn't use the word justification there. Blessed are those who law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The forgiven lawless deeds of you and I, the forgiven lawless deeds, sins covered is justification. See it? David knows blessing. He knows God's favor and kindness as an attitude of God toward his sinfulness. What's the first principle of justification? It's for sinners. David's a sinner. He doesn't say blessed is the man who has maintained his his virtue and his purity. He said blessed is the man who knows the God of forgiveness, who forgives men of their sins, who covers men's sins. Who does David know who justification is for? The lawless. Under the law of works, if David was functioning under the law of works, what is the wage David should expect? Death. If David lives under the law, what sort of compensation does he expect to receive from God? Death. Just punishment. Right punishment. But under the law of faith, which was mentioned in 3.28. Therefore, we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Somehow, in David's understanding of the gospel, he is able to communicate to you and I part of this truth here in verse 28. We conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. If David could count himself, if he did count himself under the terms of the law and what the law has to give him, he would deserve death. David has been justified by faith. David's lines, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David was a man believing God, that God would not impute lawless men 
with the sins of their lawlessness. How can God not impute to you your sins of your lawlessness? Please stay awake and pay attention to this question. How can God not impute to you what you deserve for the sins you have done? If he's a just God, this should be impossible. Men imputed with their sins will and must die condemned. It is just. It's right. The wages of sin is death. If they are going to live, you must be imputed with righteousness. You must be seen righteous if you are not to die for your sin. How is it possible? How can God not credit you with your sin? How can he credit you with righteousness? How is it even possible? Verses 2 to 8 which we've just been reading over. They are meant to show that justification is for believing sinners like Abraham and David. Abraham lied about his wife for fear of what a foreign king might do if that king knew the, the truth about his wife. Abraham let me just put it this way, knew his wife's servant. He had his wife's servant. David murdered. David committed adultery. Do these acts of sin qualify these men for eternal life? They don't. These are sinful men. These are sinful men. Do you have to be a sinner in order to be justified? Yes. What do sinful men need to do for justification, for eternal life? They must repent of their sins and believe God who justifies the ungodly. Do you come to God as the ungodly? Is that how you come to Him? In your ungodliness, confessing your ungodliness, repenting of your ungodliness. That's who he justifies. Justification is for sinners. And these sinners, David and Abraham, they believed God. They believed his promises. They understood God's promises. What was David's hope? What was David's belief regarding God and God's view of David and his sin? What was his belief? Look back in your Bible again. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. What did he believe about God? What was his faith in God? Blessed is this man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed is this man whose sins are covered. Blessed is this man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. It's his only hope for life. It's your only hope for life. Justification. This is justification. 
It cannot be had by works. It is a gracious work of God accredited to the man who believes God by faith in Christ. Justification provides a substitute. It doesn't create a lawful saint. Justification provides a substitute. It doesn't create a lawful saint. Faith in Christ takes you out of the realm of the law insofar that the law cannot have its rightful due from you, which would be your life. Justification takes you out of the realm of the law. The law can't grab a hold of you. It can't successfully convict you. What does the law of works say to you who maybe were just justified by faith? You've just been justified. What does the law of works say to that person? It always accuses accurately. When you lie, you're still a liar. Even though you got saved a minute ago. If you were truly born again, sin will still come from you. What does that man do when he sees, I sinned. Now I'm going to die because the law can have my life. Now I must die for my sins. Is, is that how he thinks about it? See, when the law hears you lie, you're guilty of lying. When, when the law exposes your gossip, you're guilty of gossiping. But it cannot condemn the man who is bound to Christ by faith. The law cannot have its justice on you who have put your faith in Christ. Why? Because the law's rightful claim has already been met. The law's right for justice is already met in Christ. Do you understand that? Your sin is truly sin. And it is truly wicked. And if you have put your trust, if you have repent of that sin that is wicked. Your sin is imputed to Christ. Christ carries the sin. He becomes the sin bearer. The death of Christ is a sinner's death. When the law accuses the born again of their sin accurately, when it accurately does that, that sin has been punished in Christ. The one with faith has trusted and is trusting in Christ. The sins, all of the sins of the repentant sinner are on God's land by faith. And your death was executed on God's Lamb, the Son of God. Your death is died in the Christ by faith. It's a substitute death for a man who has been justified. Faith in Christ puts a sinner into a realm where the, the charge of sinner is not denied, but its horrible consequences are met in Christ. 
The consequences of sin is death. Let there be no doubt. Let there be no deception about this. You will die forever unless you are justified. But he who has put his faith in Christ has died already in Christ. When the Lord returns, he will meet many of us who joyfully wait his return because we have been in a struggle against our sin. We've been fighting against our sins. But he comes for those who love him. He comes for those who have believed in him and who who walk with him, who seek him for forgiveness. We love his coming. See, by God's grace, sinners are counted righteous. Roman Catholic justification believes that when you believe and are baptized, you are infused with righteousness. Roman Catholic justification is a counterfeit justification. It it teaches that you are, in a manner of speaking, injected with righteousness. And your goodness by your believing and by your baptism results in tangible righteousness which must be lived out to prove you are justified. Roman Catholic justification uses all your words, uses all these words, and counterfeits justification. It substitutes your works for the works of Christ and for the demand of God's justification. You have to carefully go over what we've been studying here. You have to carefully read and understand what we've been studying here. Infused righteousness to make you righteous and upright so that God approves of you is you. That is not the righteousness of Christ. Why does a Christian do right things? Why why is a Christian rightly doubted of his conversion when he's living in sin. If a Christian is living in sin, if a Christian loves sin, if a Christian is habitually living in sin, why is his friend or his mom or his pastor say, you know what? I don't think you're a Christian. Why why does a Christian do right things? Why do they keep their promises or, or go to church on Sunday? Why is this so? Paul doesn't address this here. He does later in the letter. We need to touch on it for a minute, though. Why is it so? The main reason is this. If you have been born again, it means there's a new life planted in you. It is the life of the Spirit of God that indwells a believer. When the life of the Spirit of God indwells a believer, 
the fruit of the Spirit begins to be evident in that believer. Fruits of the Spirit are listed in different places in the Bible. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. I'm missing one or two. Does the Holy Spirit lie? How do you know? God doesn't lie. Does the Holy Spirit get drunk? No, the Holy Spirit doesn't get drunk. Does the Holy Spirit murder? Does God murder? No. Does God steal? No. Does God gossip? No. When a person who professes, I'm a Christian, I've been born again, and they lie, they're foul-mouthed, they steal, they, they, they might have one thing, they're just living in constantly, with no guilt, no care. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is not convicting them of anything. That's evidence there's no spirit indwelling that person. A person who's been born again and feels guilty when you open your mouth in a bad way, or when you do something you know is inappropriate, the spirit convicts Christians. Why is a Christian supposed to be up Right. Why is a Christian supposed to do right things? Because the Spirit lives in them. Because they they live and produce a life in fellowship with the Spirit of God. So don't get it backwards. Producing fruits with no roots is false Christianity. Conversion Belief in the Lord Jesus and the love of God. That's what a believing person does. Do you believe the Lord God is holy? Do you believe God's law is good? You know, the Lord Jesus, I've said this before too, He didn't come to abolish the law, did He? He didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to say it, it just isn't right anymore. Jesus didn't come and say, it's not against the law to blaspheme anymore. Jesus didn't come and say, it's fine if you want to commit adultery now. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it so that you could have his righteousness. You should agree with him on every point of what's right and wrong. With every point about what he loves. The Lord Jesus says in John 21, when he's speaking to Simon, after Simon had fallen in sin and, and he's restoring Simon to ministry, he says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said him, said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And the Lord Jesus said, feed my sheep. Conversion creates a repentant, soft, loving heart to the Savior. And then the Lord says, do this. That's the order. That's the order. You love the Savior? Has He given you hope of eternal life? Walk away from your sin. Leave it. Know Him in truth. Don't speak words that are not His words. 
Don't live a life that's not his life. Be conformed in the name of God. Be transformed with the renewing of your mind. Be faithful, servant. Justification is, is the greatest <coughs> truth of the gospel, and it is sorely counterfeited by every false religion. Your handout has three listed on it. If you didn't grab that handout, you should. There are three listed there, and it explains how it is tweaked and modified so that those other traditions, I I think I put one on there for Roman Catholicism, I think there's one on there for Mormonism, and I think there's one on there for either Seventh-day Adventism, I think that's it. You'll see how these points of justification with your words are nuanced into counterfeit justification. We'll see it. Have a look at that. Now, so Lord, to help you if you have any questions or you want to have some follow-up on some of these things, we can talk a little later. Let's close in prayer. Mighty, great and kind God of, of grace, who's offered hope, who's offered peace and justification. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the offer of life and hope of peace. God, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay.